Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for Book 6, Chapter 11. Now that more has been revealed about the Rostov's financial situation, has your opinion changed on the way Count Rostov bailed out his son in earlier chapters? And how do you think Nikolai Rostov's problems with money have been influenced by his father's behaviour? Oh, like father, like son, I would say, in response to that. Roaring Kovofyfi says, I guess it speaks volumes of how much Count Rostov loves his family, that he foolishly treats them so well, even going so far as to give Nikolai over 40,000 rubles, and now he wants to give 100,000 to Berg and Vera. Not too subtly, Tolstoy seems to be indicating that the Rostovs are on the path to financial ruin. I'm not sure his kids are going to be the one to save the family, but he is friends with the absurdly wealthy Pierre, so that might be the ace up his sleeve. Also, gotta love the goal of Berg. Hey, future father-in-law, I need 80,000 rubles to support my wife after we're married, and it would be nice if I could have 30,000 in cash. Okay, fine, 20,000 will do. I understand that dowries aren't something new, but I found the idea that Berg would have to end the engagement without it somewhat outrageous. It's a bit jarring, isn't it, the whole dowry situation? I guess that's just how it was. Um, and he, yeah, the, but the him sort of saying, and I, if, if not, I'll just marry someone else. That's the bit that seems so wrong. It's a real kicker. Um, Ripster 66 says, I know, right? I love Vera, but I'll walk away if there isn't enough money. Sheesh. Um, Twisted Every Way says, I was just wondering about Vera and why she hadn't been married yet and where Berg had run off to, even though Berg was all about the money. I was glad to hear him say he loved Vera and that she loved him. The family is definitely headed for financial ruin. Natasha better watch out. She's going to have to marry for money rather than love to save her family. Eek, that's a big call. All right. Um, chapter, what are we up to? 12. 12, where are you? There it is. 12 goes like this. Natasha was 16 and it was the year 1809. Uh, the very year to which she had counted on her fingers with Boris after they had kissed four years ago. Since then she had not seen him. Before Sonia and her mother, if Boris happened to be mentioned, she spoke quite freely of that episode as of some childish long-forgotten matter that was not worth mentioning. But in the secret depths of her soul, the question whether her engagement to Boris was a jest or an important binding promise tormented her. Since Boris left Moscow in 1805 to join the army, he had not seen the Rostovs. He had been in Moscow several times and had passed near Otradnoi, but had never been to see them. Sometimes it occurred to Natasha that he did not wish to see her and this conjecture was confirmed by the sad tone in which her elders spoke of him. Nowadays, old friends are not remembered, the Countess would say when Boris was mentioned. Anna Mikhailovna, also had of late visited them less frequently, seemed to hold herself with particular dignity and always spoke rapturously and gratefully of the merits of her son and the brilliant career on which she had entered. When the Rostovs came to Petersburg, Boris called on them. 
He drove to their house in some agitation. The memory of Natasha was his most poetic recollection. But he went with the firm intention of letting her and her parents feel that the childish relations between himself and Natasha could not be binding either on her or on him. He had a brilliant position in society thanks to his intimacy with Countess Bezukhova, a brilliant position in the service thanks to the patronage of an important personage whose complete confidence he enjoyed, and he was beginning to make plans for marrying one of the richest heiresses in Petersburg, plans which might be very easily realised. When he entered the Rostovs' drawing room, Natasha was in her own room. When she heard of his arrival, she almost ran into the drawing room, flushed and beaming, with a more than cordial smile. I just have to have a sip of my Pepsi. One moment. Mmm. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the beverage Pepsi Max. Delicious. <laughs> Not an official sponsor. Uh, Boris remembered Natasha in a short dress with dark eyes shining from under her curls and boisterous, childish laughter. As he had known her four years before, and so he was taken aback when quite a different Natasha entered, and his face expressed rapturous astonishment. This expression on his face pleased Natasha. "'Well, do you recognise your little madcap playmate?' asked the Countess. Boris kissed Natasha's hand and said that he was astonished at the change in her. "'How handsome you have grown!' "'I should think so,' replied Natasha, laughing.' replied Natasha's laughing eyes. And is Papa older? she asked. Natasha sat down and without joining in Boris's conversation with the Countess, silently and minutely studied her childhood's suitor. He felt the weight of that resolute and affectionate scrutiny and glanced at her occasionally. Boris's uniform, spurs, tie, and the way his hair was brushed were all comme il and in the latest fashion. This Natasha noticed at once. He sat rather sideways in the armchair next to the Countess, arranging with his right hand the cleanest of gloves that fitted his left hand like a skin, and he spoke with a particularly refined compression of his lips about the amusements of the highest Petersburg society, recalling with mild irony old times in Moscow and Moscow acquaintances. It was not accidentally, Natasha felt, that he alluded when speaking of the highest aristocracy to the ambassador's ball he had attended, and to invitations he had received from N.N. and S.S. All this time Natasha sat silent, glancing up at him from under her brows. This gaze disturbed and confused Boris more and more. He looked round more frequently toward her and broke off in what he was saying. He did not stay more than ten minutes, then rose and took his leave. The same inquisitive, challenging and rather mocking eyes still looked at him, after his first visit, Boris said to himself that Natasha attracted him just as much as ever, but that he must not yield to that feeling, because to marry her, a girl almost without fortune, would mean ruin to his career, while to renew their former relations without intending to marry her would be dishonourable. Boris made up his mind to avoid meeting Natasha but despite that resolution, he called again a few days later and began calling often and spending whole days at the Rostovs. It seemed to him that he ought to have an explanation with Natasha and tell her that the old times must be forgotten, that in spite of everything, she could not be his wife, 
that he had no means, and they would never let her marry him. But he failed to do so, and felt awkward about entering on such an explanation. From day to day he became more and more entangled. It seemed to her mother and Sonia that Natasha was in love with Boris as of old. She sang him his favourite songs, showed him her album, making him write in it, did not allow him to allude to the past, letting it be understood how delightful was the present. And every day he went away in a fog, without having said what he meant to, and not knowing what he was doing or why he came, or how it would all end. He left off visiting Helena, and received reproachful notes from her every day, and yet he continued to spend whole days with the Rostovs. Alright, there we go, another chapter down, another person infatuated with young Natasha. Alright, have your say about that one over on the subreddit. Thanks for what watching. <laughs> wow, thanks for listening. Uh, isn't that weird? I've, this is like episode 1,500 or something. And I've never accidentally said thanks for watching, except for now. Oh well, there you go. Thanks for watching. <laughs> See you tomorrow.